0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. This uh, is being recorded the day before Thanksgiving, so happy belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had a really good time. It's probably my favorite uh, time of the year. You know, I like the whole football and turkey thing, although I don't like turkey. It's funny. I'm not a big turkey guy, but for whatever reason, it sounds like really good. Isn't that weird? Anyway, would much rather have like a a prime rib or something like that. But anyway, hey, uh, before I begin this uh, monologue, I want you to remember that there's a website associated with this podcast, WealthFormula.com. That is a site that you may want to check out for some of the resources. Uh, In particular, if you are an accredited investor, go over there to sign up for our investor club, our credit investor club. Uh, that is where you can potentially see some uh, private deal flow that uh, we have uh, vetted. And uh, in order to do so, you need to get onboarded. Uh, you have to be an accredited investor. That's not. Uh, that's just a definition. It's not something you have to apply for per se. A credit investor is just somebody who makes $200,000 per year. $300,000 is filing jointly or has a net worth of a million dollars outside of a personal residence. Because lots of people in California have multi-million dollar personal residences just because they got lucky and moved into one. And then, boom, the next thing you know, they don't have that much money outside of that. So that's that reason, by the way. A little trivia for you. Speaking of the personal residence, you know, a lot has happened in uh, real estate over the last uh, year. And it goes to show, again, how quickly things can change and will continue to change. Unless you've been in in a cave, you know that the interest rates went up really quickly. We've talked about that so many times on this podcast, and I know it's getting old. But when that happens, housing typically goes down in value significantly. Why? Well, think about it. Okay, so what happens when uh, interest rates go up? It means that look at your own mortgage. Uh, if your mortgage and you're paying mortgage in principle, if you have a, a rate that is, you know, two or, or I should say like 3% or 2. Point, I think my first, I had one at 2.7%, which was crazy, compared to now where you're like, you know, you're running in the six, seven range, whatever for mortgages, that is effectively doubling the cost of your payment, monthly payment for the same value of a home. So the cost of the home has to come down because the same person with the same money can't afford to pay as much. And so that is a simple concept there, which I'm sure you've thought about because you're very bright already. That's what happens in real estate, right? Prices typically come down when interest rates go up. Now, oddly enough, in, in a lot of parts of this country, that wasn't the case. And we've covered that a little bit. But really, what it really was uh, about was the fact that there was uh, not much inventory uh, because, well, record low rates created the frothy market, these huge prices, right? And there was a huge amount of liquidity because everybody wanted to sell their houses while that market was frothy. So people thinking of selling at that time, sold, people thinking of buying, were able to buy much more expensive homes than they normally could because of cheap money. And many of them locked uh, those rates in, luckily for them. Now, when there was a huge increase in interest rates, liquidity in the markets went way down. In other words, there was a lot less available. And so... Because of that, that artificially uh, artificially created this, you know, higher cost of home, because I shouldn't even say artificially, but basically it's just supply and demand issue. There just wasn't enough supply. And so the prices kind of continue to stay high. And so that's what happened. And if you talk to people about, you know, what's happened in this, uh, in this country in the last, you know, year or so, that's what most people will tell you. I don't know if your experience is different because all real estate is local. And, you know, you might say in my area, the houses went down by 70% or something like that. I don't know, but they didn't, where I live, they, they pretty much stayed the same. So, you know, and there's a similar story that was seen in investment real estate uh, that is largely driven by cap rates, right? Like you don't buy a hundred unit Apartment building based on whether you like the way it looks you buy it based on you know the performance and net operating income and all that kind of stuff the cap rates the difference being that much of the investment real estate is as uh, we know uh, purchased with floating rates particularly bridge debt that kind of thing and as many of us have seen that has resulted in forced selling anyone who does not have to sell right now is not selling doesn't want to sell Those who are forced to sell are typically losing money. Uh, This is a period in time for real estate investors that it's going to be emblazoned in our memories in the same way that the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 is. That's the pain or feeling pain. And hopefully some of us will uh, understand that and also take advantage of the fallout, which is uh, reminiscent of 2010, which I've also talked about before right? In other words, yeah, we're getting some pain, but we can also take advantage of this if you're able to. I anticipate 2024 is going to be a time where there is going to be, you know, continued blood in the streets. Um, as many, ca- uh, any of these rate caps are expiring, right? These, a lot of floating rates are, are uh, purchase rate caps, basically meaning there's a, uh, there's a maximum at um, the rate can't go up more on that mortgage and you buy for a certain period of time, those expire, then you're kind of, you know, then you're kind of out of luck unless you buy another rate cap. This will be a great opportunity uh, for, because of that, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of properties you're not going to be able to hold on and there will be a great opportunity to pick up properties at a significant discount. And those who do participate in this and who've got the ice in their veins and, you know, Think about it rationally. They're probably going to come out way, way ahead. And the reason why is because, well, the predictions of lower interest rates in, in 2025 are overwhelming. I mean, they're coming from everywhere, you know, and you're already seeing rates come down a little bit right now. And if those predictions all come true, and then there's this huge amount of money coming into the market 2025, it's going to create a situation where the investment real estate market potentially becomes frothy again and um and people unable to hold on to properties in 2024 or just giving up on them they're going to be the biggest losers of uh, the situation unfortunately because they you know they didn't do what they had to or couldn't unfortunately to stay in the game and that is i think i if i were a betting man that's what i would bet it's going to happen i know that staying uh, in the game is not easy and by the way i you know, I, I totally get that and appreciate that. It's not an easy thing. Uh, I've had uh, my share of lumps and and I'm I stay rational about this whole thing. But for many of you, this period in real estate uh, has been the first and only time you've ever experienced losses. And now we know rationally that investors are not supposed to win every single time. That this is not a riskless endeavor. Nevertheless, that's pretty much what we witnessed for 14, 15 years straight because the market got frothier and frothier and rates went lower and lower. And that's what happens. We got used to it. We got used to, you know, being undefeated. But but real estate is like every other asset. It has cycles. The cycle ended abruptly this time and it was violent. But another one will start and it's about to start. In, in my opinion, is about to start in 2024 as you know this distress stuff really starts coming on the market. So uh, in this week's uh, episode of Wealth Formula Podcast in this conversation, uh, you're going to once again hear an expert uh, on real estate. You know, this one coming from the National Association of, of Realtors talk about, you know, some of the projections for the next year or two. And when you hear what he has to say, along with the economists, you're going to, again, understand why the mantra continues to be stay alive till 25. And we will have that uh, interview after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Matt Christopherson. Matt is the Director of Business and Consumer Research at the National Association of Realtors. In Washington, DC. In his role, Matt conducts member and consumer survey research where he contributes to the profile of home buyers and sellers and member profile. These are the flagship reports. Matt, welcome to Well Formula Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So um obviously, you know, housing and uh the housing market is uh on everybody's mind especially for those of us who are in, in in real the the business of real estate investing i guess the first question uh i would ask you is simply um so what do seven percent mortgage rates uh, mean to real real estate investors these days yeah so uh with these higher rates we
1: know they're at historically high levels but we have a lot of pent-up demand there's a lot of buyers that missed out on what I'm calling the COVID real estate boom, where we had our historically low rates um, and more inventory available to purchase. With that, there's pent up demand. It's keeping prices high, but we're also keeping steady levels of investors. We have a monthly measure of the market um, called the Realtors Confidence Index. And with that, we know that about 16% of buyers last month were individual investors which is the same percentage as the prior month and even the same month last year.
0: That's interesting. So are we talking about, Matt, when we're talking about investors, are we talking specifically about single family homes or is this, you know, kind of all across the board or? This is across the board. So this is residential purchases and it's
1: individual investors specifically. Um, A lot of them are purchasing with all cash and that's why they're slightly less impacted by these um, higher mortgage
0: rates. So effectively, I think what you're telling me is what I've been hearing from literally multiple people, which I I feel like it's really hard to really kind of get your head around. Correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, what you're saying is yes, interest rates are, you know, 7%. They're 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 high, the mortgage rates, I should say. And you would think that people would back off on buying, or at least that prices would be significantly affected. And Neither of those is really the case, and a lot of that simply is a matter of an imbalance towards the lack of supply and increase in demand by people who ultimately need to deploy capital. Is that fair? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, The
1: demand has remained, but the supply has simply run out. We've been underproducing for years, so there just simply aren't enough homes to buy, so it's a simple supply-demand forces at action um, that are keeping prices high. Now, I
0: guess the question on, on that is like, how long does that last? Is there a point at which, you know, part of this is that, you know, a lot of people were probably on some fixed rates for a period of time and, you know, they have no interest in selling, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. at, some, at some point, that seems like there, there should be a little bit of a correction there. Is that something that say, in the next 12 to 24 months or so that is part of your forecast?
1: Yeah, well, part of the forecast is uh, lowered mortgage rates. Um, We're hoping and forecasting that they'll be closer to around 6% by this coming spring, um, which will help bring back more of these would-be buyers that are currently waiting out on either lower prices or lower mortgage rates. So at least this way, they would get one of their wishes. Right, right. So when you
0: talk about the forecast, a lot of people that I talk to look at that and they they are very skeptical about the mortgage rate forecast. Can you give us an idea of where, I mean, how are those generated and, and how much, you know, how much stock can we really put in them? Yeah, of
1: course. Um, so our forecast comes from our chief economist, Dr. Lawrence Yoon, essentially, the rent portion of the CPI is calming down. The government data lags behind private sector data, so we're expecting that once government data catches up to private sector data, um, that will help bring the rent portion down. In addition to that, several world economies like China and Germany are slowing a bit, um, and they're very interconnected with the U.S., and also job creation has slowed just a little bit. So, with a kind of calming economy and a calming CPI factor, um, the Fed has more ability to cut rates a bit, which will help bring down um, mortgage rates.
0: Is that the single biggest factor in your view of the lack of supply? People who are, are in, you know, who who basically got mortgages for, you know, almost free money. I mean, why why would they sell, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a double
1: trouble. Um, people are sitting still, as you would expect, um, with their very low mortgage rates and low monthly payments. They don't see a need to leave that. And in addition, if someone is selling a home, then they need to worry about also finding their next home, um, which it's a challenging environment right now for buyers. It's still very competitive. Sure.
0: Is there a you know i i it's funny cuz i talk, i did a show on this similar topic a couple months ago and you know my feedback that i got from that show is some of it wasn't very kind i mean I, <laughs> it was like are you crazy i'm a i'm a i'm a real estate investor and if you don't think rates are affecting more you know the 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 the, the properties uh values and stuff like that that you're nuts but i'm not here to say one way or another i'm just listening to what you know the experts and the data is telling us certainly in my area where i I'm a, i live in a fairly affluent region of the country which is like santa barbara montecito california essentially mm-hmm. one of the most affluent and our prices have not been affected at all i mean even though like in the houses are in the millions of dollars we've such ridiculous amounts of money here. Some people are just, you know, they still buy, you know, houses for $10 million in cash and they don't, you know, if they're worth a hundred million or 200 million, they don't really care. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's not normal. Do you see a a difference, I guess, in, in, in what you're talking about with regards to price stability across the board in the United States, or is it a really a regional thing?
1: Yeah. So it's definitely local. Um, In our latest, we have quarterly um, metro median home price releases. So our our latest um, quarterly release showed that generally on a nationwide level, prices stayed very steady. They were within 1% of the same quarter last year. However, several markets, um, Austin comes to mind, several markets that really had an aggressive boom during COVID, they are actually the markets that sell price decreases. And I see it as a bit of normalizing with a calmed market. They had almost overinflated prices with so much demand at once. um And it's more that they're normalizing and less that they're decreasing. But it is a decrease.
0: I had a friend of uh, mine who'd uh, been in real estate for some time, and you know he's um you know he's seen a lot of different markets. And one of the things that he was commenting on, was that the last time mortgage rates were you know were this high you know cap rates were like 8 or 9 on average right i don't know if that that's actually if you know that data off the top of your head or not but I don't. It, yeah no <laughs> it seems to me that part of that issue the difference in those issues now is that there certainly is, you know, a lot heavier investment in the space. So a lot more money after these assets. Is that part of what would keep uh, cap rates more compressed than we would think?
1: Um, I, to be honest, have more um, knowledge behind the residential market um, sure. and less on the cap rates. Right.
0: Got it. Got it. So so what markets, you know, you mentioned some of the ones that are not performing particularly well. Mm-hmm. What markets uh, are performing maybe, you know, on the other end of that in terms of uh, better than you would expect?
1: Yeah. Um, so, so just to set the scene on um, short term, sales are more driven by mortgage rates and prices. That's known. But in the long term, The sales are more driven by the job markets, um, job growth and strong job markets. So because of sustained, uh, stronger job markets, the South are where a lot of the stronger performers are. Um, Just this last month, 45% of existing home sales all occurred just in the South region. So it's definitely the outperforming region. You say South, is that like Southeast or... It's the South overall. So we, we split our home sales into West, Midwest, Northeast, and South. Okay. So the South is the um, outperforming.
0: What would be like the major markets to when you say the South? Because obviously, even California has a South to it. Where that? <laughs> We're
1: right. Yeah. So this is essentially um, Texas across to Florida and up to about North Carolina. Florida has a lot of the
0: um, stronger performing markets. There, there's this balance in real estate. A lot of times uh, we have a population growth issue and then we have a housing, you know, imbalance or balance. Where are we in that cycle right now?
1: Yeah. So as far as generations,
0: um, so
1: the millennials are the largest adult population in the U.S. For several years, they were also the largest home buying population. But this past year, they were overtaken by baby boomers. Um, It was a much more competitive environment. And baby boomers have experienced decades of um, the benefits of homeownership and equity gains that millennials just haven't experienced yet. Um, So millennials are a huge portion of those would be buyers that are held back right now and currently waiting out on more accessible prices or mortgage rates. One method that we're seeing more first-time buyers use is um, living with family or friends beforehand, and that way they can pay down their debts
0: and build up their financials to be more competitive buyers. Right. So that's that's an interesting thing. So the boomers are actually beating up on millennials uh, Mm -hmm. in housing. Where's Gen X in all this? I mean... (laughs) Yeah.
1: Gen X, who always gets ignored in these talks? (laughs) Um, No, Gen X are doing well. Um, They are actually purchasing some of the more expensive homes they're at on average and just by history at the height of their careers um, and therefore are purchasing larger homes. They're more likely to have children at home as well.
0: Sure. There is a historically, you know, a lot of uh, foreign investment uh, in in the U.S., And I understand right now that demand has actually gone down, that there's fewer buyers purchasing real estate in the U.S. Why why do you think that is? I would
1: actually argue that their interest has not decreased. So they, over the past three years, have made up the same share of overall home sales. It's been about 2% of total U.S. home sales. What happened last year is our overall home sales decreased. So they made up the same share of the pie
0: if you will it's just that the pie was smaller so they had fewer overall yeah okay they're just competing for the same small sliver and so their number is shrunk right well that's interesting yeah Um, and do you have a sense for where those types of investors typically look Uh, are they mostly looking on the coast and that kind of thing Yeah, so um, Florida, and specifically,
1: Miami is the poster child of foreign investment in residential real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, Florida received almost a quarter of foreign buyer purchases last year. Um, Following Florida, California and Texas each received about 12%. So that rounds out the top three. Um, It depends on where buyers are from, um, their intended use of property, for example, uh, Canadian buyers are more likely looking for vacation homes, whereas Mexican buyers are more likely looking for primary residences to move to. So that plays a lot into where they're purchasing. Right.
0: One other thing that you, uh, I think, have been uh, uh, talking a little bit about is, is uh, curiously, um, marijuana laws and how they mm-hmm. impact real estate markets. I thought this was kind of an interesting Can can you give us a little bit of background on that? Because that's, you know, something probably that a lot of us real estate uh, investors really are not thinking about at all. But what's going on there? Yeah, of course.
1: So on the residential side of things, the uh, legalization largely does not have significant impact. Um, We don't see huge impact on property values near dispensaries. Um, What we do see are HOAs and landlords adding rules and regulations to smoking specifically, just to protect their properties, um, the values. On the commercial side of things, legalization presents a lot of opportunity. Um, It brings an increased interest in warehouses, first and foremost, but also uh, storefronts and land where they can grow, sell, and distribute product. Um, And even if you are not specifically working with a marijuana-related business, if you're a retail business near a dispensary, depending on your business and your clientele, it could be very beneficial. Um, Purchases are typically made in person, so it's increased foot traffic in the area. Um, And we even look at changes in crime and there really is no measurable increase um, in crime in those areas. So it presents a lot
0: of positive opportunity in the commercial sector. So interesting way to potentially capitalize on, on those changing laws, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I guess, you know, one thing I want to make sure we, we cover is, you know, we're about to go into, um, you know, some political cycles here and election cycles and that kind of thing. How do election cycles typically impact real estate markets? Is there a historical trend and if so, um you know, how does uh, what is that trend and 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 what can we potentially expect?
1: So I believe that the historical trend is that in an election year, home sales do decrease. Um, as far as kind of consumer sentiment, there's a level of uncertainty of what's coming, um especially economy wise. Um, but the reality is there are still people that will need to buy homes. There's people moving for jobs or people having children that need another bedroom, anything like that. Um, so people will still be buying and selling homes. Got it.
0: Give us, if you would, your sort of overall sort of uh, uh projection as as uh, from the real, you know, from just your real estate market analysis of what maybe the next two to five year horizon for real estate looks like given all of the you know, other projection of rates, the fact that there'll probably be some, you know some movement and an expiration of lower rate uh, mortgages that currently exist. How are you guys looking at that? Um, so
1: obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty um in what's happening. It seems like things change every two months. Um, but we're expecting mortgage rates to lower next year. Um, to more reasonable levels which will bring a lot of these buyers that are kind of holding back back into the market so obviously what we need is supply Um, we need builders to to um, uh, increase their starts again Um, if that happens then we can expect um, more of a return to normal if you will um, whatever that is uh, with, um, home buying. And so that will probably be in the next one to two years, um, that things will be a little bit more normal.
0: What, um, um, so how can we learn more about what you do? I think, um, you know, obviously you you guys have a lot of resources. If, if real estate investors are interested in kind of reading what you guys are up to, what, what's the best way to, to reach out, maybe follow even some of your work in particular. Yeah,
1: of course. Um, So nar.realtor is our website. We have a lot of resources. Um, Our research group, we put out um, research reports and data releases on nearly a daily basis. Um, So there's always up-to-date resources. Um, I also recommend following our research channels on Instagram, Facebook, and X um, just to stay up-to-date
0: and any uses of our data as well. Fantastic. Matt, thanks so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you for having me. Be right back. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay alive until 25. That's the plan. Anyway, hope uh, you had a nice uh, Thanksgiving holiday. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Jaffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.